We're back. We're back with another uh, episode of Sola Gratia, or really, I guess, a continuation uh, of part two of our conversation on books and reading. And again, to continue on with the questions, I'll turn it over to Aaron. Right. The next question is, what books have helped shape your theology? And I guess we, I could, we also throw in like worldview, um, how you view the world, how you view your relationship with God, or, you know, I don't know, theology is kind of a, a broad word, you can use it in different terms, um, I know worldview is different, but, yeah. Yeah, it is a little bit, but I think it, I think the way you're asking the question, they would that would be a good uh, angle to approach it from. Um, you know, of course, I mentioned uh, previously about the certain books that have shaped my walk with Christ, and in, in some ways, I think I would say that that I would have to include those same ones in this list as well, at right. least for the sense that for me. You know, my my theology and my walk with Christ are are interconnected. Yeah. Right? You know, so I my my walk with Christ is gonna be shaped by my view of God and, and my theology is my view of God. So um, but for the sake of, of branching out a little further and including maybe the worldview aspect, um, I would I would add um, one, one book that I really hadn't, um, well, uh, the, the book is, um, is Chuck Colson's book, uh, How Now Shall We Live, uh-huh. which, um, Colson was pretty well influenced by Francis Schaeffer, and in fact, I think Schaeffer has a title, I think his, I think even the title of that book is almost a knockoff of one of Schaefer's yes. titles, is it not? It how, is. How Should We Then Live? Yeah. Something like that? I'm probably going to talk about that book, but yes. And, I, and I've not read um, that one of Schaefer's, but the one that I, that to me was very influential of Schaefer's for me was He Is There and He Is Not Silent. Yeah. And so I would say that both of both Schaefer's book and uh, Colson's book, probably Schaefer's more so, at least theologically. Colson's maybe maybe a little bit more so, just in terms of broad worldview. But but both of those I thought were um, pretty influential theologically and and worldview wise. You know, Colson is able to. Um, to do what what I have learned to do in, in that is to narrow really all worldviews down to a series of a few essential questions. Yeah. You know, that really all humanity has. Questions yeah. of origin, you know, where do we come from, who are we, uh, why are we here, what's our purpose, what's wrong with the world, how can it be made right, uh-huh. what, and, and then how do we live in light of that. So, yeah. Colson's book is really um, organized into those um, categories, 
Schaefer's is more direct. It's less, I think, categorical, but it's more direct in, in really simply saying that in trying to answer the big questions of the world, we as Christians tend to almost be embarrassed by our ability, or not, not even our ability, but our answers. Yeah. And Schaefer's point is, there is no other answer. This is the only worldview that makes sense of those questions. And so, yeah. um, you know, that, that I think, um, was pretty influential. In a, in a more modern way of going about and answering those questions, and I think this, this also would be a, I'll, I'll add these in because I think they also have enhanced my ability to, to think through those questions and answers would be, um, a Matt Chandler book called The Explicit Gospel. Oh, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, because he kind of takes both, um, approaches, both a, a, a theological approach and a worldview approach to, uh, what the main message of Christianity is. And then the other one is a really short book, uh, called What is the Gospel? Yeah. Uh, by Greg Gilbert. And it's, it kind of does the same thing. It answers really those key questions, you know, that face all of humanity, gives a very focused biblical answer to all those so so yeah I, I, I think that those at least as far as what's I don't have a list in front of me but as far as what comes to mind I, those are the ones that come to mind yeah. in that regard yeah uh, you mentioned Schaefer yeah and that reminds me of a book that I had wanted him, like I had planned on mentioning it. I, t- I just forgot it when we got into it. Um, <coughs> regarding regarding uh, the walk with Christ. Okay. And I wanted to, I wanted to mention that this one because I think it's such an important book. Okay. And uh, you know, in the course of just you know talking extemporaneously, I, I had my list. I did some thinking about it, but it is ran past me, but Schaefer wrote a small book called The Mark of the Christian. Okay. And... I've not read it, but I'm familiar with the title. It's a very small book, and he's just he's just talking about you know, uh, what makes a Christian a Christian. How do you know that a person's a Christian? Yeah. And he, he you know, he takes apart The Last Supper, and he, he talks a lot, he brings out the point that Jesus said if you're my disciples you will love each other yeah. you know by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another and he says the converse is true is that if you are not showing love to other Christians then that gives the world almost an excuse to say, I don't need to believe in God. I mean, it's like really like, man, he puts it so well. And uh, after I read that, I just tried to keep that at the forefront of, you know, if I'm, I got to be careful the way I interact with Christians on a day-to-day basis, over social media, you know, just... Because, uh, I mean, you know, 
because Jesus says these, you know, people will know you're my disciples by the way that you treat one another. And, uh, anyways, so that's, that was, because I think a lot of things that Christian books do is, is they, you know, they, um, or good books do is they let you hone in on truths that they may read in the Bible, but that you might read over them or you forget or you need them explained further. And this, the Schaefer's Mark of a Christian is just really good, a really good, uh, you know, expansion of or explanation of the Last Supper and who we are to be as Christians. And, um, that one's that one really helped me with the you know growing closer to Christ yes but also how do I show that show that love to Christ by loving others um, really important book very small book uh, everyone needs to read that one uh, as far as what's helped shape my theology or and or worldview um, the one the Schaefer book that you mentioned that you haven't read How Then Shall We Live right I think that's the title it's you know one's titled one way one's titled right. another yeah but uh, you know he basically just analyzes the uh, the philosophical thought of western civilization starting with the fall of Rome okay. or with the Roman Empire and then the fall of Rome okay. and it's just so amazing how he takes all of this and he even you know, for, for example one of them uh, one of the things he, he talks about is how in the modern era and I'm not talking about like current times, but like the modern era, like the 30s. Okay. Okay. So that's that's the so in the last century about right. Um, but in the 30s, like that's the modern area, modern era, and then you get the postmodern era, right? Yeah. Uh, because it's after the. But anyways. Uh, so he he talks about how man started viewing himself less than man. And he gives this, uh, he talks about Picasso's painting Four Women. And there's four women in this painting. And like, one looks like a, a portrait. And then slowly it goes to the cubist. The cubist style that Picasso's known for. And so, what Schaefer's doing is he's showing, showing you how the prevailing worldview is reflected in art mm-hmm. and what that does to art how it affects the music you know just all these things and it taught me how to think about the world from a Christian perspective you know and yeah. what is what is what is art saying about man what is art saying about God doesn't say anything about them yeah. well it probably does yeah. and and I think, I think just seeing how Schaefer processes that, 
has helped helped me worldview wise just to see you know like I almost run that through a filter like almost everything I watch yeah yeah uh, whether I'm doing it conscientiously or not yeah um something else that Schaefer brought out in a lot of his writings especially in a lot of the like Escape from Reason um he is there and he is not silent the God who was there he really he really brought out the the fall of mankind Genesis and Space and Time Uh, he talks about the fall a lot and that's such an important understanding in our theological like understanding about God relating to man, yeah. man relating to the world. He's the one who used the phrase the mannishness of man. Yeah. Isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something else is what what is what is the image of God in man? Yeah. What makes man different than the animals? Yeah. And you know, if you don't have a if you don't have a firm grasp on that, there's a lot that you can't really explain, I think. Oh, yeah. At least explain satisfactorily. Yeah. And before I had read uh, those books I mentioned by Schaefer, like, it, it didn't even really occur to me. Oh, yeah. Things were much different than the fall. Much different before the fall. Right. And, you know, because a lot of people, I think these days, will say, you know... God made me this way. Why did God give me this addiction? You know, all these things. Yeah. Well, we're fallen, you know, and and we a lot of people don't take that into consideration is, you know, yes, God did make you, but you're also a fallen human being with faults. Yeah. And uh, anyways, it's really important, especially at the time I was working at the Hope Line and uh, you know, a lot of people would ask all these tough questions, but without a, an understanding of the fall of mankind, you know, that's hard. How it affects man and his relationship with God and his relationship with, you know, creation is just a lot you can't answer. Right. Yeah. Um, another book that was really that was really helpful in uh, kind of shaping my theology or my worldview or whatever is uh, Tim Keller's uh, Counterfeit Gods. Okay, yeah. And he, he really takes apart what worship is and how it affects us and how worship manifests itself into just about anything. And so, you know, the basic premise, I guess, is that, you know, everyone worships. Yeah. And they worship something and you can't turn it off. Yeah. And if you're not worshiping God, then you're worshiping something or someone or some idea or ideal. Yeah. 
And so in this book, he takes uh, the story of Jonah and he talks about the idolatry of nationalism. And I can't do it justice, but it works out so well. You can't give us your best Keller impersonation here? I can't. I can't, because I can't. It's been a while since I read the book. I just remember that coming away from it, it just gave me a whole new perspective on really humanity and why people do what they do. Yeah. Um, I can't, you know, even even down to you know teenagers taking selfies all the time, like. Well, it's a form of idolatry, you know. Um, even me taking foodies, like you know, you take a picture of your food and you post it so everyone sees it. That's just weird. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I've done it. You know, I gotta confess, I don't know if I've. Well, yeah, I think I, I think I probably have done it on social media, but I, ironically, I did it. I, I took a picture of it. I was really proud of this quesadilla I made for lunch today. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I didn't post it, but I did text it to my wife who was at work so that she could be impressed with my ability to uh, make lunch for myself while she was away. And she was impressed, I think. Well, that, that's it. I don't know. That, that, that seems kind of like you could, you could pass over that one. That one's not like I chalk I chalk that up to to just being having a a, a a self a self-reliance while still helping my wife to know how important she is to my well-being. Yeah. When it comes to everything including lunch. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, I could be I could be proud of myself but also express my general need for her those abilities because she has more of them than I do right so um, yeah we'll go with that yeah not not yeah, quite the uh, look at these giant Aretha Frankenstein pancakes I'm eating and you aren't <laughs> uh, so anyways it's I just, don't know if I've ever well this isn't important we're getting off topic here alright back to books so so yeah um it just gave me a whole new outlook and, you know, as far as shaping my theology, I think it really helped me understand worship mm-hmm. and how it affects us and our relationship to God or with others or all those kinds of things. Um, it's a great read. It's very, it's, like most of Keller's books, it's fairly short to the point. Yeah. It totally gave me a new perspective on, like I said, both theology, understanding our relationship with God, and uh, worldview. Yeah. I'll add one more if I can. I thought of this, uh, and this would be one maybe a, a little more on the outskirts, not, not so much as foundational, but another worldview-related one is, is uh, James Sire's book, The Universe Next Door. Uh-huh. And that was one, I believe I was introduced to that one by Dr. Euler, and um, he, he kind of broadens, and his, his is more, um, 
he broadens the what we would think of as like the foundational questions asked by people. I think he has seven, whereas most others would get it down to three or four. But he also gives a good overview of of some of the um, some of the bigger worldviews of the of the age now. You know, so he's talking some about uh, nihilism and, and Marxism and, uh, you know, just various, various, almost like um, understanding the times. Yeah. You know, almost like that one does. Um, so anyhow, that's another one that, it's, it's a little, in my mind again, it's a little less theological, but as far as worldview goes, I thought it was really helpful. Yeah. Alright. Um, who are some of your favorite authors and what about their writings has been helpful? I kind of expect that this will, this question will, might dig back into some of the books and authors and things we talked about earlier, but in your mind... Who were some of your favorite authors? What about their writings has helped you? Yeah. Um, I'll try to not go, not be too repetitive here. I, you know, I've mentioned Piper already. I think, I think Piper just generally with his preaching and writing has been pretty influential on me. You know, and obviously countless others as well. Um, I think what it is about his writings is is that he. He combines, and he does this in his preaching too, but he combines um, thoughtfulness and, and depth of content with an obvious, like, contagious passion for what he's talking about. Yeah. So it's, it's not, and, and Piper doesn't really consider himself scholarly, uh-huh. You know, he's not really like an an academic per se, but he he's able to to plumb the depths of scripture as well as as well as anybody. You know, I think I think in our generation at least, and so so there so there is a lot of depth to what he says. Um, but again, it's that's where that's where he draws a lot of his um, you know I guess contagious uh, enthusiasm for what he has to say and it comes across in his in his writings as well um, so that would be I would put him in there one that I that I really enjoy I don't think I've mentioned yet would be somebody like Russell Moore uh-huh. uh, his, his writings and he you know, this comes across both in his uh, books, but he also does, he writes uh, articles pretty regularly as well. Um, he's very down-to-earth. He's very conversational in what he says. He's a good storyteller, um, but also his his um, his insight into Scripture is also just really packs a, a very powerful punch. Um, in the way that he's able to, to show the relevance of Scripture in, in everyday encounters, um, whether culturally or as it relates to family issues, um, he's very good. Um, I like that style. 
Um, this is going to be really uh, out of the loop for anything, but going, delving into the sports realm, um, one of the one of the best things I have ever read, and it's by an author, or by a writer that I that I think is just top notch as far as writing ability goes, but. Uh, a guy named Bill Simmons uh-huh. has written what it's just very simply called the Book of Basketball. Uh-huh. Okay, this is I kid you not, seven hundred pages about basically the history of professional basketball in the world, and and he and it, but it's not like a it's not simply like a reference. You know, like here's all these stats, or here's all this history. Right. It's it's almost like he's retelling the story of it, uh-huh. and and you can tell he's done just gobs of research to go about this. But but he's also just really he's just a genuinely very funny guy, huh. and and he has this uh, these insights and humor. Now I will say it's it's I mean you want to talk about like polar opposite of most things that I would generally read, like, it's, it's an extremely, uh, <laughs> profane book, like, to be honest, and, yeah. and it's not, you know, like, the guy's not a believer, obviously, right. and doesn't, wouldn't claim to be, and whatever, and most of, even what he writes on a popular level, as far as just articles, you know, are, are kind of that way, that's his style, but, so I'm not, I'm not, uh, promoting that necessarily, but as far as just something that was really enjoyable to read, and just somebody who, if I see that he's written something, I'm probably going to read it. Uh, He's written written other sports books, or, you know, like I said, he's, um, his website is, you know, he's pretty regularly coming out with stuff, so I would have to, if I'm being honest and I'm being transparent, I, I think I would have to say I include him in favorite authors. Yeah. As well, so so yeah. There's a few more other than I think what I mentioned. Yeah. Before there's lots of others I I could mention if I if I thought more, but I'll I'll stop there. Right. Um. I think I guess I gotta I have to divide mine into the because I think the way I wrote the question, uh, what about the writings has been helpful. Yeah. Uh, in a Christian context. That's true. Maybe not necessarily some of the other. Okay. But uh, I guess I could rephrase that to what have you liked? Um, who's your favorite? Uh, who are some of your favorite authors? What about their writings? Do you like? Yeah. Um, I just think about that as I read the question out loud to you. But, um, you know, like I, I've already, I think I've touched on Lewis enough. Probably talking too as to what about their writings I like, you know. Um, the uh, Schaefer as well, uh, just very, very helpful. Um, Keller, I think, as a Christian writer, one of his major strengths is just knowing how to speak to the culture. And that is, that's one of the things uh, I really enjoy about his writing. Uh, as far as apologetics books go, this is something that 
that as much as I love C.S. Lewis, if I'm going to recommend an apologetics book to someone, I'm going to recommend Tim Keller's The Reason for God. Yeah, yeah, so good. Over mere Christianity, uh, because he's he's answering the relevant questions. Yes. Um, and he does it in such a, a, a wonderful conversational way, and he's approachable. You know, yeah. even he's even very gracious, even whether you agree with him or not. Right. You know, even seeing him debate atheists yep. or uh, intellectuals or whoever it is, he's always got a very gracious spirit. Yeah. He always knows his material, and he always he always uh, he can reach whatever group he's talking to yeah. without you know, going way over their heads or dumbing the material down to make you feel like an idiot. Well, he's really good at finding points of points of contact yeah. with his audience. So he'll he'll even uh, with with whatever point he's trying to make, he will often argue the counterpoint first. Right. Just, you know, and and in do, in doing so he shows that he understands the arguments for the other side. Right. And he's um, he's giving giving them the credit, you know, that it does deserve. But then he's able to show where maybe some of those those reasonings would fall short. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, he's super super gifted in that way. Yeah. Um, as far as as Schaefer goes, because I don't think I touched on this as much. Uh, I really really like him as a as an author because he he does get you to think and you are going deeper and you're you're thinking about the modern issues or the you know I mean he was writing in the 60s and 70s yeah um but you're able to kind of mention this with others too even with his there's there's a timelessness right to what he says right it's 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 uh almost perpetually relevant I think right and uh again reading him I think for me the thing I like about him is it 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 helped train my mind to filter everything through a Christian worldview and see what it's saying about man what it's saying about God what it's saying about man's relationship to man or God or you know creation um, so that's what I, I really like about his writing. On the uh, secular side of things, um, one of my I'm trying to think of some of the some of the authors authors I read. Uh, Neil Gaiman is just such a storyteller, and he. Uh, well, I mentioned earlier one of my favorite fairy tales is Stardust, and uh, he just know he he knows how to write uh, weird short stories. Uh, he's very well read, and he knows his genre, and he knows how to how to uh, write best in that genre. Yeah. One of his more recent releases was. Or I guess it came out a couple years ago. It's called Norse Mythology, and it's just a retelling of the Norse myths. 
but he does a great job with that. He's just a, an excellent storyteller. And he can take, you know, normal everyday stuff and just completely turn it on its head. Uh, it's really, really amazing. Uh, John Steinbeck, I mentioned in the last podcast, I think it was. As an author, he just, he knows how to write characters. And, I mean, it's, it's, he just knows how to write. I, I can't explain it. It's just, he, and the way he writes in the novels, they just engulf you and you, you want to find out what happens to these characters and, you know, you see, you see humanity maybe at its, uh, it's very honest and truthful with what humanity what it is and he's he's approaching it from a a secular perspective but um you know you see the dirty side not eh, it's hard to it's hard to explain you just see you see humanity for the the brokenness that it is it's an honest portrayal Yeah. yeah and then you get glimpses of redemption even in his work um, and the way that the characters relate to each other. Just amazing stuff. And then, of course, I have to mention my man P.G. Woodhouse. Yeah. Uh, spelled Wodehouse. Just probably the fun, some of the funniest stories that have ever been written. Um, and his use of the English language is... Um, much better than what I'm doing right now. <laughs> but he, uh, I mean, you know, he, it's just amazing the kinds of stuff he comes up with. And my favorite is the the Jeeves and Wooster series. Yeah. But uh, he's got a lot of other good things. And, and his strong point, the thing I love about him, is the way he'll, he writes a character. Because all of these stories are comic. They're funny stories. And I've always said that a a good comedy is driven by well-written characters. Yeah. Uh, You know, you can have a a great scenario, but if your characters aren't, you know, written well, you know, a comedy is going to have all these quirky characters that are going to be given the situation, and it's going to be ample... The situation is going to be... Um, amplified worse because of the quirkiness of these characters. Yeah. That's a good comedy. Yeah. And Woodhouse just does the best job of uh, creating these characters and putting them in the most absurd situations and then using language and the English language and his similes and metaphors yeah. Yeah. to just send it over the top and you're like how does he come up with this? Right. And so, uh, those are probably some of my, some of my favorite authors and, and uh, their writings and yeah. what's good about them. Um, so, we've talked about books that we like and authors that we like. And, uh, but what about 
What's the advantages of reading books that you don't agree with? So there's obviously some authors that are known to take the opposite sides of what you might usually read. Yeah. Should you read their books? Should you just leave them alone? If you do read them, why is that an advantage? Or is there an advantage? Or is it just disadvantageous? Uh, well, you know, again, I'm not sure that I would really be the best um, person to answer a question like this. I Because I really don't... Um, this is not a practice that I do regularly. I don't, I don't tend to read, um, at least purposefully seek out books that I know I'll disagree with. Now, um, in fact, I would say, I would say my approach to what I choose to read is maybe similar to how I choose what movies to watch. Uh-huh. In fact, I'm. And it's not that I am very uh, picky in the kinds of movies that I like. I, I, I think I think I like various kinds of movies, but I almost I I don't really even want to rent a movie and take the time to sit down and watch it unless I'm fairly certain that I that I know I'm gonna like it. Yeah. If if you know so. I'm not really I'm not really interested in just watching a movie for the sake of watching it. You know, I, do, I very rarely feel the need to be entertained that way. Um, so I'm pretty I'm pretty selective in how I choose to spend my time and what I watch. And I, I think it's similar in how I choose what I read. Yeah. And again, I don't I don't read merely to be entertained, but. Um, you know, I like to I like to have some kind of um, sense that it's going to be either enjoyable or or helpful for me in some ways. Now, I think there's certain times where you can't help but um, but read things you're not always going to agree with. In other words, right. you know, you, we'll talk. We'll take C.S. Lewis for example. Right. You could read. You and I read enough. Uh, have read enough C.S. Lewis, you more than me, uh-huh. to know that you're not gonna you're not gonna line up on every single thing that Lewis right. teaches. There's gonna be points of disagreement. Right. Well, certainly you would say, and I would agree, that we shouldn't just throw Lewis out with all the things that we don't agree with him on. Exactly. So I think I think that in that case, absolutely. You know, you take what is good, and you learn to decipher what maybe is not as agreeable, uh-huh. and, uh, you know, maybe you try to understand why he thinks the way he does about, uh, about you know, what might be different than, than how you and I think of it, and, uh, you know, you still benefit, you still recognize the insight that he has, um, where it is helpful. Yeah. And, you know, that's just one example. I mean, we, we've talked about, um, you know, uh, somebody somebody like, you know, you do this with, with preachers too, I think, uh-huh. when you listen to enough preaching. But somebody somebody like David Platt, you know, who I, I enjoy his preaching, I, I benef- benefited from his books, 
I don't agree with Platt on every single biblical doctrine. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think he's really sharp, and I think that he gets a lot more right than he gets, so to speak, wrong. Uh-huh. But I'm, but I'm not going to stop reading him just because he and I might have a different view of the millennium. Right. Because uh, I think that that's a secondary kind of issue. Right. So, in that sense, I think that... I guess the other example, and, and maybe this would be a, um, a little bit of a caveat, is sometimes the best work in a certain field is going to be written by somebody who, again, would take a different viewpoint than uh-huh. you do. So I'm thinking of, of um, a book I we, were, we read for a class in seminary on um, on the, the idea of the temple in the Bible. It's called The Temple and the Church's Mission. It's by a guy named Greg Beale. And the book itself was really pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, just... just it, the scope of it was really magnificent, um, and and yet I would say, I would say probably twenty percent of it were thing was things that I didn't line up on. I didn't I didn't agree with his interpretation on various passages. But yeah. there's no question that it, that it's the best book on the subject. Yeah, you know. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna down I'm not gonna tell somebody they shouldn't read it right um i think it, i think it's always helpful to be discerning yeah you know um for sure be stick stick with what you know is going to be solid i would warn against somebody you know if, if there's a if somebody's reading something that's really just going to be harmful for them right i would advise against that right um you know, I, I mean, I've had, and I, I've heard lots of perspectives on this. I've had one professor tell me that that you really ought to be reading things pretty regularly that you disagree with, because it'll sharpen the way that you uh, interact with with people you don't see eye to eye with. Right. I, I think there's some merit to that, but again, you only, I only have, I've got limited time. Exactly. And I want to be able to put things into my into my toolbox, so to speak, that, that I know is really going to be um, edifying and helpful and informative in a, in a positive way. So maybe that's kind of a, uh, a caveat to, to the answer, but that's the way I have approached it. Yeah. Um, certainly, you made a lot of really good points as far as, you know, you read an author that you like to read and they bring up points that you might may not agree with yeah and I think that's going to be the case with just about anyone we read extensive especially extensively yeah um well and that could even just to give maybe a couple other examples it could even be that um with somebody you might agree with their conclusion but you might not agree with how they how they got there yeah um, or it might be that you that maybe they've made all the right points up until they say, now here's here's the application, but then you think the application is kind of screwy. Yeah. So, again, I, I think there's ways to benefit from what you see as being um, helpful 
while still understanding that, well, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have put it that way, or I wouldn't apply it that way, or I wouldn't have argued it that way. Right. Uh, I, th- I think that all that is, is healthy. Yeah. Just in the same way that you'd have a conversation with somebody you don't agree with. Right. It's not that you're going to hopefully lambast somebody that, well, I disagree with you on this one point, so we can't ever talk again. Yeah. Well, that would just be really immature. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess, too, the, when I think about this question, is it helpful? Um, I guess... I guess it depends on what what it is that you're reading, yeah, uh, and why you would read something that might differ from your opinion or your your held beliefs. Um, you know, I think, like for example, I've told you I've, I've read Nietzsche. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, really depressing guy. I don't agree with like I don't agree with I don't agree with him because mostly I don't agree with him because you know he starts out from the premise that you know there's no God right and you know you start out with something like that and you're just gonna end up with all kinds of crazy ideas and uh, but reading him has helped me see how his influence on the world has come to be in other words okay he took God away now this is the result this is how we're going to get there Yeah. this is this is how mankind thinks whether or not they want to admit it Yeah. So, so in other words somebody like him he has had what, regardless of how widely read he is um, he he has had a an effect on culture's way of thinking because yeah. generally culture thinks like he does. Right. So so to read him is to really read an accurate portrayal of our culture. Right. And how I got is. there. Yeah. And I guess my fascination with that, you know, goes back to Schaefer and how he dissected culture, you know, Western civilization and how we got to where we got to and whatever happened to the human race yeah. you know um, well Nietzsche's philosophy answers a lot of those questions I think yeah. um, of course you know with the bat, with the there's certain things that is easier to, to read with you know that differs from your opinion because it's so vastly different um but I know in that instance, it's helpful because, like I said, it, it shows you why why we've come kind of come to where we've come to. Yeah. Uh, it puts it in words. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think in other cases, you know, understanding. I I personally think it's helpful think that it's helpful to read things that are you know even the contrary uh, or the polar opposite of what you would believe or what you would think because because then you can understand that person better yeah 
And I think that's the main advantage. Yeah. Uh, especially in, in the world we live in today. Uh, you know, people, people aren't taking the time to listen to the other side. Yeah. And without that, there's no understanding. And you're just like going after something you don't fully understand. It, it makes for very bad dialogue and arguing. And I use that in the, you know, the right sense of the word is defending a position. Yeah. Um, so I think it's helpful. Yeah. Well, and, and I would compare it, if I could add a couple other points here, yeah. it would be that I would, I would compare it to um, exactly what you just said, which is you... One of one of our modern civilization's greatest and most glaring weaknesses is the inability to have a healthy dialogue with somebody we disagree with. Exactly. So the only way you're going to do that is if you take the time to actually listen to the other side. So yeah. whether you do that by reading somebody else's perspective or just by listening to somebody else try to explain their side, you're, you're exactly right in the sense that you don't... I don't know that you have to um, uh, fully... You certainly don't have to fully align with somebody else's views in order to yeah. make sense of them. But but you do, I think, have to understand why they're saying what they're saying and where they're coming from and how their thoughts are affecting them and, and maybe even where they originated so that you can have uh, the um, credibility to make a, a pointed and positive counter-argument to it. Yeah. The, the other thing that I would add is, I, would, I think that most of the time we, do, we take in things we don't agree with, especially as Christians. Uh-huh. I think we do it a lot more often than we would admit. Yeah. You know, so think about the kinds of t- uh, television shows you tend to watch. Yeah. Well, how many of those... Uh, would you say you agree with in the sense that oh the, the worldview presented in that show lines up with the worldview that I believe as a Christian? Well, probably a really small percentage of them. Yeah, if any of them. If any of them. And same thing, you know, in a lot of cases with the music we listen to. So so the reality is we're, we're taking in information, whether it's by reading, watching, listening, whatever. Yeah. We're taking in information that we would claim, well, I don't agree with that really, but I'm, you know, it's not. So, And obviously we all have to be discerning. We're all affected by what we take in, whether we yeah. realize it or not. Uh, it's important for us to be filtering all of that. And it's also important to, to recognize the effect, positive or negative, that it is having on us, rather than to say, oh, well, it doesn't. It doesn't affect me at all. I think that's... Yeah. I think, I think somebody's pretty gullible if they're saying that. Yeah. For sure. Those are really good points. Um, has there ever been anything that you can think of that you read? Because we're talking about differing views, different points. Yeah. Um, is there ever... Anything that you can remember reading that that put its argument forth so well that changed your your viewpoint or your stance on whatever it is that they were discussing. So, so I had a I had an idea about something going into it. 
Uh huh. But this book changed my mind on it. Yeah, this book or an article or you know something that stands out in your mind. Yeah. That you can remember. You know the the one example that I think would be the closest to this because again I don't I don't I don't tend to read a lot of things on purpose um, that I um, would would say. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, maybe the best way to put it is I'm normally pretty firm in what I believe going into to whatever I read uh-huh. um, to the point that I, I don't I don't I wouldn't say that this is something that happens regularly. Uh, the one exa- the one example I'll, I'll give is this. Um, there's a there's a very little book by Sam Albury. Uh, called Is God Anti-Gay? Uh-huh. All right. Now, you just you just look at the title of that question and you think to yourself, well, the answer must be yes. Right? Of uh-huh. course God is anti-gay. Um, however, rather than giving just a direct yes or no answer to the question, because that would be a really short book, <laughs> Um, the way Open that, up the book. There it is. <laughs> a yes, yes or no. Um, is is that he he really approaches it, and this is the first this is the first time I'd seen this question handled this way, uh-huh. and it really has shaped how I have addressed the topic up to this uh, until then, or sorry, then until now. Is um, he he. Um, so Sam Albury himself is a he's a pastor in uh, in England who himself he identifies as what he calls same sex attracted. Okay. Okay. So he's he is what most people in the world would call gay. Right. However, um, as a believer, he is celibate. So he's not married. Uh-huh. He is. Um, uh, is not sexually active. Uh-huh. He, you know, he simply admits that in his uh, in his level of what we would think of as attraction, he's attracted to men, not, uh-huh. to, not to women. Now, um, so so he's he's writing as as one who's you know the answer to this question obviously would matter pretty deeply. Yeah, and so so even that kind of I think puts your guard down as to what he's going to say on the topic and. Um, you know, he, he really says that, um, he really draws the distinction between, you know, what the world would call this idea of gayness. Yeah. And says that it really, it really comes down to, to attraction. What are you attracted by? Um... What are you attracted toward, and then how do you act on those attractions? Yeah, you know, so so we all have various uh, attractions. Yeah, not all of them are entirely pure all the time. Right, and, and so how do we deal with any of those attractions? If it would be, and I've used this example with students before, um, it would be it would be just as wrong for me to be attracted to another woman who's not my wife and for me to act on that right. as it would be for me to be attracted to another man. Right. Both are both are wrong. 
Now, right. some students hear that and they think, oh, that's, I don't, you know, they'll get all up in arms. Because, because in some of our circles, to be quite honest, homosexuality is, is one of these just seventh level sins. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so anyways, all that to say, this very short book uh, does, a, does a fantastic job of addressing the issue of attraction and how we act on those attractions and um, uh, you know this this idea of homosexuality so I, I don't know that it so much changed my mind as it did it just really helped to sharpen what what I think about that very difficult topic and and I yeah. I went in expecting a certain answer and, and it wasn't so much that it gave a different answer as it as it did um, helped me maybe to just ask the right questions about it. So that's that's the that's probably the best example I could give. Okay, that's good. Um, for me, the the big one of the big things in my mind, I guess, was. Uh, Mark Driscoll wrote a book called uh, Religion Saves and Nine Other Misconceptions or something like that. And and what he did was he pulled his his church. This was written years ago. Um, He pulled his church and said, what questions do you have? And they pulled up the nine, the top nine questions. And two of them were kind of were kind of related. It was about um, grace and free will and Calvinism and all this. Okay. Yeah. And going into it, like that's pretty anti-Calvinist. Okay. But yeah. this was this was without a real understanding, and I hadn't done a lot of studying on God's sovereignty, and so I started reading this book. And the chapter where he talks about grace and free will or Calvinism or predestination, that was the question. It wasn't Calvinism, it was predestination. Yeah. Uh, you know, he just he just laid out basically all the verses in Ephesians chapter 2 and, and brought up, you know, really highlighted the, the fact that before Christ you're spiritually dead in your sins you know, dead people can't do anything, you know, and it was just, it was very, very enlightening to where I just couldn't hold whatever position I had because I didn't know enough about Armenianism to say, oh, I'm a, you know, but again, that comes from misinformation and not a full understanding, but that, his argument was powerful enough and laid out well enough to where... I saw it and I said, well, I can't disagree with this. Yeah. Here I am. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, that brings us to kind of anything else we need to know about books. Do you have any suggestions? Uh, things that you've enjoyed that you haven't talked about yet or lesser known books that you feel would be beneficial to our listeners to uh, explore and 
dive into for themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I think I would, I would want to maybe give somewhat of a little, um, challenge, especially for people who don't consider themselves to be readers, Uh so if you're listening to this and you're somebody who really doesn't care to read much, or you're, you know, maybe maybe you'd like to become a reader, but you're not sure where to start, um, I think it's, I think it's perfectly acceptable, and I think maybe you've caught on to some of this uh, with my experience and with Aaron's is... Start with topics you're already interested in, and uh, you know, start start small, start feasible. Don't don't feel like you have to jump in and read the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy just because that's what your friends rave about, or or you know, don't feel like you've got to jump in and read something extremely um, deep and academic. You know, start small. Um, then, you know, as Aaron talked about, build a kind of, of reading stamina. You know, one of your first questions, Aaron, was about, like, um, do you plan your reading? Yeah. Right? And, I, you know, I mentioned I really don't. Now, I've seen your list. You sent me your list for this year. <laughs> and you have it all mapped out as far as I want to read these books this quarter, and then in the summer I want to do this, and then, you know. So if you're a planner and you're a goal setter and, and you benefit from doing all that, I'd say follow that route. You know, I'm yeah. I'm not really one to. Um, uh, I, I guess it's just I'm just not as I'm just not that structured when it comes to reading. I read what I what I feel is important at the moment, and then I I keep on with it until it's done, and and so forth. But anyways, just that would be my advice at least for getting started. And and maybe the example or an example of this is, and it's kind of another plug, I guess, for an author and a topic that I, uh, that for me has been pretty impactful, but, um, um, you know, I've always, I guess since I was pretty young, I've always been pretty interested in, in the topic of heaven, uh-huh. the idea of heaven, and so I, I read, uh, Randy, uh, Randy Alcorn has written and this is going to sound absurd for those who aren't familiar with this, but he has written a 500-page book on heaven. That's so good. And, you know, I remember when that thing first came out and I got a copy of it and I thought, how on earth is there going to be 500 pages worth of material about heaven from a guy who's never been there? (laughs) Um, But it was a topic I was interested in. Randy Alcorn is, is an author that maybe would be kind of under the radar, although he's very good. Yeah. But that, um, so that would be a plug for him. Yeah. But anyways, you know, I just, and it was a fascinating book. I mean, it's just so rich in its, you know. And And he does a good job of saying, this is what we get from the Bible. This is what we can pull from the Bible. And this is what I'm guessing might could happen because of what I read in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not I mean it is to some extent it is speculative. Yeah. And and I think it I think it needs to be that in in certain ways. Um but it's also not he's not just 
it's not thoughtless either. Right. You know, it's not just, well, I hope it's this, and so, yeah. well, you know, yeah, you're exactly right. It's very scripturally based. He, He's, um, I think he's maybe dogmatic where he needs to be, but there's a lot that's, as you said, uh, open-ended, uh, so to speak, but, but with good reasoning behind it, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's where I would, those are my suggestions, and that's, that's a way that's an avenue maybe to help you get started in how to pay attention to certain certain things yeah it's funny it's funny you have that you you mentioned that and I did write that down as one of the books I would recommend okay people read and it probably going back to you know shaping theology that has really helped me shape my theology on heaven yeah like uh, you know, because before before that, you know, it, it's just easy to think, well, we're, it's just going to be a, at least as a kid. I think he even shares the same fear, um, or shared that he had the same fear. Yeah, just one big long church service. <laughs> yeah, it's like eh, I don't know about yeah. this. Yeah. but when he gets to talking and shows the scripture, it's so good. Yeah, um, yeah, it gives you it gives you a lot. <laughs> heaven you know like an anticipation of yeah you know, I just we just you know more so than than I than I, I I think you're exactly right more so than we tend to develop in our early understanding of oh man we're gonna worship God forever yeah you at know, least in the in the I think our, our view of nar- of worship is very small yes. very narrow yes and you know I think the biggest thing I took away from that book is we're going to be unfettered from, you know, we're going to be set free. We're set free from sin, yes, but the effects won't be there. Yeah. Uh, we'll be unhindered by sin. And so that everything we do will be an act of worship right. and we'll enjoy doing it. Yeah. And, you know, he even proposes that we'll be exploring, you know, the universe and spaceships. You know, yeah. I, if, if that is so, you know, sign me up. I'll be, I'll be on, the, I'll be on that ship. But yeah, um, yeah. He, well, and, and I'll just say this too about it is the the thing that I thought was extremely well emphasized is the physicality of heaven. Oh yeah, it's not erythral. It's not no. It's not spirit uh, spirited at all. It's. Right. It's, you're talking about a real earth and a real place and real bodies and real cities and, and real expanding technology and, and all these things. All these things you would hope for in a utopian type future right. um, are likely to be the case uh, on the new earth. Exactly. So, yeah, just really, really good. Really it's, good stuff. It's so good. Um, of course, I, any of the books I've mentioned, uh, I recommend... Uh, highly recommend C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, Mere Christianity, The Weight of Glory, um, Tim Keller's Counterfeit Gods, Augustine's um, Confessions. We mentioned that that book. That's a very good book. Um, great insight into the human condition, and uh, I think it. I think it's one of those books that you see how broken this guy is over his sin. Uh, that it makes you, it's a, helps you look at yourself and 
am I this broken? You know, do I need to be this broken? I, I need to, yes, but am I at that point? Yeah. Um, that's good. Another, uh, and this one's one that's not as well known, that Augustine wrote, and you can get it pretty cheaply, I think, is called On Grace and Free Will. Yes, yeah. And that was one of the most helpful books in helping me understand you know God's intervention in things you know like in salvation do I choose does God how to oh my word what is this okay we didn't die the, the joys of driving while podcasting yeah on a uh, on a construction zoned interstate this truck is making me nervous <laughs> Um, Try to get ahead of him. Yeah, let's get ahead of him. Um, but, but how... Uh, grace and free will. Grace and free will. And Augustine just really highlights, you know, when God's working, where he's working, where humans are working, you know, how it works together. Yeah. I can't explain the book in a short amount. It's just very important read um the uh another book that I absolutely love and it's more of a kid's book well I think people view it as a kid's book but The Wind and the Willows yeah that is such a fantastic read and it's so British it's such a but it's so is that a compliment? yes okay it's a compliment um I like British things uh, the Code of the Woosters by P.G. Woodhouse. Funniest book I've ever read. Um, along with Catch-22, but that one... That one's a, a little more on the... Uh, that one's not a, a PG-rated book. Awesome. It's a war novel. I read it with Nathaniel and Jonathan, and we all love it. It was just so absurd. Um... Highly, highly recommend Paradise Lost and Paradise Found. Uh, Milton's Milton's poetry and the way that he just puts forth. Oh, so good. I, I wish I could quote the whole thing, but at the end of Paradise Lost, when he th- I think it's Paradise Lost, he talks about. Um, the cross and the serpent and the savior is just absolutely amazing um and uh a very a very good this will be my last recommendation um Mark Batterson's book Play the Man it's a it's a book on manhood yeah. it's very down to earth but it's it addresses a lot of the things that we face as men, and um, yeah, I've heard you talk about that. And it's oh, it's so good. Um, you know, there there's always always room for improvement as far as as men go, um, and the issues that men face. And I think he deals with it with them very well, and. Uh, I just remember reading the book and saying, I want to be a better man because of this. 
And so, those are some of my recommendations as far as single volumes go. But, Good. yeah, this was probably the longest one. I think so. Now, I'll close with this, and I don't even know. So, we mentioned before we're headed up to this uh, Gospel Coalition conference. Yes. One of the features of conferences like this, and this one uh, as well, is is the bookstore the bookstore so uh do you plan to uh to do any shopping while you're here or uh, you kind of made a commitment to try to not buy any new books i think i did so is that, I does that rule you out for the bookstore uh no it doesn't uh and i have bought new books i haven't of course everyone knew i follows through with that right uh but i do have an accountability partner and whenever i buy new books I have to tell him so um, I don't really plan on spending t- too much if any I don't know I just have to see what they have yeah. and if they're discounted because I've got especially so many on Kindle that I get through Kindle deals Yeah. that you know I've got so much to read before I need to pick up anything else and that's one of the advantages of planning out my reading is, well, you can't buy this book because you're not going to have any time to read it because you got all this. That's right. So, what about you? Is there anything you're looking for? You know, I'm, I can't say that there's anything that I'm headed there specifically to get. Although, if, if history repeats itself, uh, there, there will undoubtedly be things that catch my eye that I will come home with uh, that I don't yet have so yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna predict that that something like that will happen yeah so maybe we'll have to um, record on the way back to and do a conference recap and then we'll talk about what we learned and books we bought and so forth I think so I think that'd be fantastic all right well we we extended this one, but we saved you from having to uh, listen to part three of this. So That's right. This has been uh, Aaron and David on Books and Reading, and we appreciate you listening along with us. See ya.